When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special Royal Blue Podcast um, this week. Um, we're actually talking, rather than the uh, the current team, a, a much more uh, pleasurable topic for, for Evertonians. Um, Everton's greatest ever team of the, the mid-80s. And uh, it's an exciting new film that's come out um, called Howard's Way, um, out next month. And I'm joined by the film's director, Rob Sloman. Good yeah. afternoon, Rob. Hiya. And, of course, our Echo Head of Sports, Dave Prentice. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Um, I had to be involved yeah, in this one. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can see on your, your yeah. face there, Dave. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're excited. Like I said, it does. Um, it, it's better than talking about the the current plight. I would yeah. say at the moment. Yeah, I won't do that. Yeah. Absolutely, it was the, the greatest period of my football watching life, bar none. <laughs> That season, I mean, we'll talk about it over the next mm. however long it takes us, but so many highlights in that season and left that stadium walking on air so many times. I was young 20s, so I was old enough to actually appreciate it and actually, you know, so really understand what it meant because I'd lived through the 70s, which were a fairly, you know, sort of dark time to be an Evertonian, uh, completely overshadowed by the other lot across the park. Um, but to actually, you know, overtake them, beat them three times in one season, beat everybody coming, you know, virtually win everything uh, that we, you know, that we entered. It was just an absolutely magical season. And I spend most of my life, you know, scouring YouTube, trying to find uh, clips from that season. I've got an awful lot myself uh, on, on VHS, which have probably fallen apart now. It's so long since I've played them. So I met Rob a couple of years ago. And when he told me he was planning um, a documentary about that, I was so excited. And I genuinely can't wait to watch it really can't it's definitely the only time I mean I I was um, a kid down in Cornwall so I didn't I didn't really I couldn't really relate to what was going on in the city and how it felt to be an Everton fan with Liverpool sort of routinely winning the league and and the European Cup uh, every season but um, it's the only time in the 40 odd years that I've supported Everton that you actually you sort of knew they were going to win yeah, and I remember, uh, I think the Sunderland game towards the end of the uh, 84-5 and Sunderland scored quite early, didn't they? Yeah. And uh, and you, you knew that Everton would win the game. It was just a question of, of how many. And I've, <laughs> I've never felt that since, never. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the quality of goals in that game as oh, well. Yeah. Was, uh, the, the one that always sticks out for me in that season is one of those strange games that no one ever mentions. It was televised. Everton beat Newcastle 4-0 and uh, just absolutely dominated the game. And I remember I genuinely felt like I floated out of the ground it, after that game. It's not in the film. Well, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's out there on YouTube. You know, you'll find that. But um, it was Jackie Charlton was the Newcastle yeah. manager. And I think after the game, he'd been asked uh, by the media, you know, a, a very simple question to warm him up. Well, Jackie, you must be disappointed at that. To which he replied, absolutely not. I'm thrilled. And yeah, they looked a little bit taken aback. I'm sorry, you're thrilled. You've just been beaten 4 0. He goes, Yes, I'm thrilled. And it was classic deflection tactics. Mm, mm. But he said, uh, Yeah, I'm thrilled. That could have been eight or nine. They are the best balanced football team in this country by a mile. And just hearing, you know, a rival manager say that just gave you such a thrill and such a sense of pride. And that happened routinely throughout that season. It was just absolutely staggeringly good. Uh, Neville uh, Southall in the film says, uh, 
at the end of that season. They were the best side in Europe by far, and yeah. they'd have been the best side in Europe by far for at least five years. And and, and I think that that we all felt that. It's not a feeling that we've had uh, before or since, but certainly <laughs> yeah. uh, at that time, you, you just thought, wow, these, these it's a special team. Yeah, and we, we obviously, I'm sure all Evertonians of a, a certain vintage would be um, well aware of that, but but why now, Rob? Why? How did it come about right now? Um, well, actually, about fifteen years ago, I was looking mm. back at my uh, emails, and it was about fifteen years ago that mm. I that I first sort of wrote out a, a, a sort of treatment team that time forgot, which we've actually used that tag a, a few times in the in the marketing. But that's what I call the team that time forgot, and I and I tried to see if there was much interest to get that away mm-hmm. on on Sky and, and well, anywhere else at that time. But um, but it would have been a quite a sort of short affair, maybe a half an hour, something that would have fitted in quite easily to the schedules, et cetera. And um, actually, it was only, uh, it was a couple of years ago when I had a meeting with one of the film, major film companies about something completely different. Uh, and the topic of Everton in the 80s came up and it was suggested that a, that a, that a decent film, a documentary, um, similar to, um, I believe in miracles, um, might work. And I thought, well, I'm not going to hesitate. So I literally that night, so we're talking about a couple of years ago, almost to the day now, um, went home uh, and started sort of developing that that idea and, mm-hmm. and flushing it out and thinking, well, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it properly. And uh, and then it was just a question of getting hold of the players. And it took a while to get hold of everybody. Andy Gray was uh, fantastic. I knew Andy a little bit from from working with him uh, at Sky, and then he introduced me to Peter Reid. And Peter Reid's contacts book is, <laughs> yeah. you know, is, is off the charts. But um, so that was when it started to flourish. Um, and the film company that I was talking to actually then didn't it didn't work out with them. Um, and so it was then a question of well, I've gone this far down the road. I've met the players. I've told them I, I think we're going to do it. Um, so then looked for private investors uh, and eventually um, early part of this year, February, March, yeah. got that over the line. Um, it's not easy for, for an independent film um, to, to find the money, to raise the money because archive is so expensive. Oh. The things that you want to involve like you know, commercial music, etc. it's really expensive. And um, to get that, that together was, was difficult. Got it. And then it was a sort of mad rush because I wanted to do it this year. It felt like I've been talking about it yeah. for long enough. Felt like everybody would stop believing in the project if we didn't keep yeah. the momentum up. Um, so then had a mad dash of um, of interviews in in uh, April, May. Last one was Adrian in, in June, and then it was a question of um, into the edit suite and get it done. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned tracking everyone down. Obviously, it's three decades or more since mm. since then, and you've got people all, all around mm. um, the world. I mean, were the ones who were particularly difficult to get hold of? Um, yeah, uh, there was. Obviously, we had to get. Um, I wanted to tell the the story. I didn't want to just sort of start it with Howard coming into the club. I wanted to reflect on the fact that um, the sixties were. It, there was no one dominant side in the sixties, but yeah. Everton were up there. They were mm-hmm. certainly one of them. Um, and they had the financial muscle to go and get players like Alan Ball just off the World Cup. Um, and I wanted to reflect on the fact that they were successful in the 60s and then it's sort of the 70s were this period of... of um, I, I want to say they were unlucky, but, you know, even Mike Lyons. So we, so we went out and got Mike Lyons to talk about it and, and, you know, he doesn't really see it as unlucky. He says they weren't good enough. Yeah. Um, but there were moments where they were unfortunate mm-hmm. not to win something and it just felt like... That that was the the two games that that feature in the film are, are the seventy seven League Cup final and oh, still 
Still, you watch. I mean, it went to two replays, but yeah. still, you watch Little's goal in the sort of last minute of extra time, and you think, please, somebody's got to clear that. And uh, and then obviously uh, the FA Cup yeah. semi final against Liverpool and the oh, controversy that went there, around that. There. So, yeah. you know, that's when they were unlucky, and they were unlucky. Um, so we, I wanted to, to reflect on that. Mike Lyons did that. Gary Stevens was also out in Perth, so that was ideal. Right. So we got um, Mike Lyons and Gary at the same time. Um, but I wanted to be able to sort of build up the story. So the 60s were good, the 70s were not good. Howard comes in in the 80s and, and he sort of moves Mike Lyons out the door and it's the new era. So we then sort of go from there. It wasn't like it was a an immediate upswing in fortune, but um, um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to build it up. So it felt right to go and get Mike Lyons. Um, and then the difficult ones, you know, like Kevin Richardson... Um, is he's not somebody that's massive on social media, etc. A lot no. of the players you can get to. Peter Reed was sort of we were sort of ticking them off one by one, yeah. um, and actually it, it all fell into place pretty quickly. I'd met I'd met nearly all of them um, at some point in the twelve months leading up okay. to, to sort of getting going. So um, I wanted to do that for two reasons. I worked on a film a few years ago, and, and the producer of that film made a point of going to see everybody that that he might work with on the mm-hmm. film to to talk to them about what he wanted to do. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And then at least when you film with them, it's not cold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they know what yeah. you're doing and yeah. they've told you a few of the stories and they're relaxed. And and you also know some of those stories to, to get the best mm-hmm. out of them. Paul Bracewell had told me when we when I met Paul, um, I think he works with the the kids at Tottenham now. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and I met Paul and he was telling me about, Wogan and and what went on that day and I thought okay right well there's I mean, we need to develop a couple of things there and so it was about getting those those stories when I met the players the the, the first time so um, I wouldn't say anybody was a, a real nightmare to to get hold of Adrian was difficult because he, he's in America mm-hmm. um, and his schedule meant you know finding a date that was spot on was going to be tricky and then he came he happened to come over to the UK in the summer. Yeah. And so that was a relief that we got him uh, him done. And, um, yeah, I mean, a few of them. So Trevor lives in Doha but comes over uh, – Dubai but comes over quite a bit. Andy Gray comes over quite a bit. So, And a lot of the guys are still relatively local. Yeah. So you can sort of do those in a, in a sort of couple of days. You can get four or five done, which was a huge advantage budget-wise. And they, they get on so well, that yep. team. Because I've been to quite a few, like, reunion dues in the past – and they're just like such a, a gregarious bunch mm-hmm. who still have this great team spirit uh, when you get them together. Now, it shines yeah. through. It's obvious, yeah. you know, they bounce off each other all the time. Yeah. And you can only imagine, like, what kind of formidable unit they must have been as a football team yeah. back then, you know, with that yeah. kind of spirit shining through. Yeah. Absolutely and incredible. Dave, do you think that is what sets them apart? Not just their footballing ability, but that unique bond they've got? It, it's a bit of both. I mean, uh, you can't underestimate how good they were as a football team. And Howard always used to say, balance, because uh, that was always what Harry Catterick had in that 69-70 team. He had a, a best balanced football team. And I think Howard tried to you know, bring that in as well. And if you just think about it, you know, the, the two, they're not holding midfielders because Peter Reid and Paul Bracewell were so great at, you know, linking play, I suppose, you know, so sort of knitting it all together, as well as, you know, destroying. They actually really first proponents of the, the high press, mm. if you like, which mm. um, Colin Harvey introduced. Um, I think it was Don Howe initially that yeah. you know, first formulated the, uh, the theory. But Colin Harvey first introduced it initially in one of the junior teams at Everson until Howard saw us. So how long have you been doing that, Colin? <laughs> well, this season, we need to introduce that in the first team, and they mm. did. But then you've got the quality on the flanks with Trevor Stephen and Kevin Shudy. 
What's often overlooked as well is how good Adrian Heath was in the first half of that season. Yeah. He was outstanding uh, until about December. So good that it was either Graham Sharp or Andy Gray who were going to partner him. Uh, yeah. You know, in fact, Andy Gray was out to the side at the start of the season. Then he was replaced by Andy Gray. That's replaced by Sharpie. Sharpie actually put in a transfer request at one stage mm. because he was so, you know, frustrated. And it was only when Adrian Heath got injured that those two became this formidable, you know, sort of strike force. But then even defensively, you know, Kevin Ratcliffe with his pace, Derek Mountfield with his height, Gary Stevens with his ability to get forward and overlap, mm. you know, Van den Haar with his formidable tackling. It was just everything about that team was beautifully balanced. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were a very, very good football team. But when you ally that with that absolute, you know, sort of character that they had, mm. and I give an awful lot of credit to that, to uh, to Andy Gray. I mean, a Peter Reid was like more like the older statesman, if you like, and you know he already had, you know, sort of that in in his mindset. But you know, some of the younger players hadn't seen it before, and Andy Gray came in and basically imbued that spirit into them. You look at all the goals that are scored that season. The first person to celebrate, the first person there beaming, is Andy Gray. He talked Graham Sharp an awful lot about the you know leaping early, unsettling central defenders, and he just because he'd been successful throughout his career already. You know, he'd been in a successful Aston Villa team. He'd won the League Cup with Wolves. Mm absolute gamble Howard Kendall buying him with dodgy knees for 250 yeah. grand but he did and he just you know flooded that that squad with his own character and his own personality and that helped bring some of the younger players yeah. out of themselves mm-hmm. Kevin Ratcliffe you know so you Trevor Stephen until I mean Neville was always a very strong character anyway but even he had issues um, after conceding the five goals in the Derby match he was sent away on loan uh, Port Vale and came back a different character entirely yeah. and you know Andy helped bring those you know personalities yeah. out of those players and so when you Add that to it, to be absolutely adamant they weren't going to be beaten in games. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Sheffield Wednesday away where Andy Gray yeah. stopped them on the team bus yeah. and said, we are not leaving here with nothing. We're getting something. And you know, Andy yeah. did, they won 1-0 and it was a real backs to the wall job. But when you ally all that together, the quality with their team spirit, with their will to win, that's a pretty special football team. Yeah. See, I, I did an event, we filmed an event uh, in, in March, I think, and Andy was over. So it was Andy, Graham, Peter Reid, um, and John Bailey was in the audience, yeah. and uh, and Peter Reid got up there, and pretty much the first thing he did was said, "When I was at Everton, the the special thing was the team spirit," and said, "Bales, get up here." So <laughs> Bales goes up there, and the place is packed, and they're all yelling and cheering and and, and clapping for Bales gets up there. And from that point on, there was pretty much nothing that we could use, yeah. because you know the <laughs> the, the language yeah. and the yeah. stories were you know they weren't the, the stories for the film, but it was it was just straight away it was obvious that yeah. that, that they still really get on. And, and and a quote that I couldn't get into the film in the end, Trevor Stevens said that um, that they had a, a special bond, a special spirit. And he was one of the quiet ones yeah. uh, as well at the time. And he said he didn't really, he wasn't even bothered about getting into the conversation because yeah. it was hilarious. It was, yeah. you know, it was funny. It was acerbic. But he said that even to this day, they're still there for each other. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, 30 years on to feel mm-hmm. that, you know, you're in Dubai, et cetera, but you know if there was a sort of rallying call. And, and yeah. it's shown up because on the 11th, they're all coming. And, um, uh, well, Adrian, hopefully, depending on, on Minnesota, but, but uh, they're all coming. And I think they're all really want to be there they yeah. all want to to get back together and, and and just have fun i think i think that's that was there was a lot of fun yeah i think they had and of course obviously um the one person who obviously won't be there the man who yeah. gives his name to the title um howard's way how ha- howard kendall do you think part of that is is to remember howard himself and howard's legacy to the club you do that wow um yeah i mean howard deserves an awful lot more credit and praise than he's received. If you think of, you know, what what he did uh, as a football manager in that era, 
Absolutely remarkable. I mean, to actually upset the juggernaut that was Liverpool that had been dominant for 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And Howard did it, and he did it by playing good quality football. Uh, And he won Manager of the Year awards, sure, but because of everything else that was going on in football at that time, um, you know, the the high-profile disasters at Bradford and at Heysel, um, you know, football was in a bit of a bad way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they tended to take more of the spotlight uh, than actually what was appearing on the pitch at the time. And uh, so as a result, Howard possibly didn't quite get the uh, the media profile he deserved. Obviously, he left Everton in 1987. He was frustrated at not being able to compete in Europe. And so went to uh, Bilbao. And again, you know, a, a team that was struggling in their own uh, league and never won any trophies there, but got them into Europe and certainly turned the club around and is very, very fondly remembered in Bilbao. Mm-hmm. And then came back and turned Manchester City around and was absolutely got, got them on an upwardly mobile trajectory again. So a great manager, but I think bottom line is he is the most successful manager in Everton's history, full stop. And when you think of how successful Everton Football Club have been down the years, I was fortunate enough to be party to the, um, in the millennium in 2000s. We were invited into the boardroom uh, and there were former players, there were former managers uh, and there were two journalists, myself and Ken Rogers, uh, and were asked to vote on a player from every um, decade, from 1910 to 1910, 10 to 20, and to produce the original Millennium Giants. And at the end of it, we had to produce a, a manager and Howard you know, was in the room, so it was an awkward one to discuss. And mm. almost like playing devil's advocate, I said, all right, come on. You know, so we know Howard's here, but let's discuss Harry Catterick, you know, some merit as a manager who had a spectacularly successful uh, period in the 60s uh, over, you know, over a decade. But after we discussed all that, there was still, you know, Howard had to abstain. He says there was still absolutely no doubt. It was unanimous that mm. he was the greatest yeah. manager Everton has ever had. Mm. So for a manager in 100, nearly 150 years worth of history to be the greatest, you know, so that club has had. And this was his crowning glory. People talk about 87 being possibly the uh, greater achievement because he had so many injuries to overcome mm. that season. Mm. And it was more of a squad thing. But in terms of pure school of science football oh, that's the that, yeah, that, yeah. that season 84, 85 epitomised that and Howard created that so yeah this is undoubtedly his legacy What I quite liked um, uh, talking to the players uh, obviously I've, I've seen a lot of the archive um, uh, by this stage but um, there will be, the people will say no one had a bad word to say about yeah. him uh, and he didn't have a bad word to say about anybody else no. I think Joe Rawls said something like says, the worst he would ever say about somebody is deary me or something <laughs> like that so no one had a bad word to say about him but at the same time they all recognised and Kevin Ratcliffe talked about it he was ruthless you know yeah. he wouldn't hesitate to make big decisions and I think you know um, managers you know they, they live and die on the on the decisions they make, and uh, and you had players like Kevin Richardson and Alan Harper who were coming into that side uh, to fill in, in in various positions. I got Alan Harper to list all the different um, <laughs> shirt numbers he, he yeah. played with, you know, and, and it was everything bar bar one and nine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know they would come in do a great job, and Kev Richardson would come in and score vital goals, and just be left out. That you know if Sheedy was fit, he was back in, yeah. you know, and. Uh, and that was that was really tough for them. And Kevin Richardson said, "Well, Howard was the gaffer, and and he would just name the team. It's A, B, C, and that was it." Yeah. You know, so um, there was no sentimentality with with uh, Howard. He knew his best team. Not every manager knows their best team, no, do they? No, exactly. Exactly. So he he knew his team. He knew what he wanted to do, and um, nothing was going to get in the way of him doing it. No matter whether somebody would scored two goals three days earlier or not, it, it was um, this is my team, and yeah. and like it or lump it. And it was a great partnership. I mean, him and Colin, mm. and we shouldn't forget Mick Heaton as well, who had such yeah. a big part to play in that team. Uh, but 
you know, they bounced off each other and they each had different qualities, you know, sort of bring to the table. And it was just a, I wouldn't describe it as like Clough Taylor because they had very different, you know, sort of kind of yeah. personalities and, you know, so very different qualities. But Howard and Colin were so close, obviously, from their playing days. And they, they just had something special, you know, between themselves. It's just like a, a great partnership as, you know, Colin, the, uh, the coach, the sergeant major, if you like, yeah. you know, sort of on the pitch. Yeah, I was um, really surprised at that. I, um, yeah. When the players started talking about just how brutal oh, yeah. Colin could be, <laughs> you know, uh, Graham tells a great story in, in, in the film, but he was... <laughs> He was merciless, that guy. Yeah. So, and you, you know, obviously Colin's part of the film and we met him and he's such a gentle, lovely yeah. guy. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to, to, to see what he was like, but all of them say it. You know, yeah. He was, yeah, he didn't mess around with Colin yeah. Harvey. Yeah. Well, how is that? I mean, you talk about his ruthlessness. I mean, obviously, famously at the end of that season, you know, Andy Gray just had the best season of his yeah. footballing career, just moved into a new house in Formby mm. and Howard decided to sell him. And, you know, the only way he could break the news to him was in person. So he goes around to the house and apparently a, a gas fitter was like fitting in the stove or something. <laughs> and Howard didn't know quite how to break the news that he's just bought Gary Lineker. And so he said, Andy, tell him to stop doing that. And he realised that and he's like, oh no, gaffer. And, you know, okay, fair play to him for having a, the balls to go and actually deliver that message in person. That, that's but it. the courage and to make that decision Andy, as well. Andy, uh, I've known him a long time. Obviously people have, have, have seen him in the media for, for many, many years. And, Andy gets emotional talking about it now, yeah. Yeah. 30 odd years on. Yeah. You know, we, we do that. There's a little bit in the film about that moment when Howard uh, rocks up. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, even now it hurts him. I got emotional about him selling him. I mean, I just yeah. couldn't yeah. see the logic yeah. in it, but yeah. it was right. Gary Lineker scored but 40 if you, goals. If you think, season. you know, Andy says himself that he would probably have stayed if, yeah. if the European Cup was you know, on the table, so mm -hmm. to speak. And, and can you imagine that for Adrian Heath was just coming back to fitness? Adrian yeah. Heath, Graham Sharp. Andy Gray and Gary Lineker as a yeah. four. Yeah. You know, most teams, you know, there was when Manchester United won the treble, they, they had the four that they rotated, yeah. didn't you? Um, didn't they? And, and, um, and imagine that we don't even have two or three now, yeah. but, you know, to have that, that yeah. you know, be able to move them, switch them out. And they, you didn't rotate in those days, no, not which all. was the problem, which, yeah. which was why you, you would say, if you're Andy Gray, say, well, if I'm not going to play, I'll, I'll go somewhere I'll, where I will, because yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm still doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, to get rid of Andy Gray at that time, even if it, well, Gary Lineker was the hottest property in, in sure. English football at the time, wasn't he? But, you know, wow, what a decision that was. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Probably not worth keeping him yeah. for the Screen Sports Super Cup. Took place the following season. David spoke very articulately about the merits of this team, and obviously, amongst passionate Evertonians, they certainly mm. aren't unappreciated. They, they've always been lauded for a long time. But do you think that for a, a general audience, that they're, they're not received the, the praise that they deserve, Rob? Yeah, I, I, well, I think that's the main reason for for, yeah. for doing it. Yeah, I just. If there's a discussion about the greatest teams in, in uh, English football, and you have to remember that football didn't start in 1992. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the Liverpool sides of the, of the late 70s, early 80s, they were, yeah. they were fantastic. Oh, yeah. you know, and Forrest. And, uh, and they were great teams. And Everton came along and, and they, they won that title by 13 points in 85, giving away the last couple of games, yeah. didn't they, really? Um, and people don't... People don't remember them, and 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 there are two reasons. I think in football they possibly do, but yeah. not you know the the wider audience and 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 the media don't really do much for them these days. And and I think if they'd have won the the double, if they beat Manchester United two days after or two and a half days after the European Cup Winners' Cup final, if they win that game, then you can't 
erase them. You know, you can't forget about them because they would have been the first yeah. English club ever to win a double and a European trophy. So yeah. therefore, they'd have been boom, they'd have been there. And obviously, if they'd have been able to go on and, and play in the European Cup and potentially win it, because every year English teams seem to win the European Cup in, in those days, and sides not as good as Everton were winning the European Cup. Um, and that's why they possibly don't get that recognition. No fault mm. of their own. Um, and I wanted to, yeah, I, I don't think, we, we had a meeting um, with uh, one of the TV companies and the guy that, that met with us had never heard of Howard Kendall. Well, and he's the guy yeah. that's responsible yeah. for whether that film, you know, gets broadcast on that particular channel. And you know you're up against it when he doesn't know who Howard Kendall is. And you think, well, crikey, you know, he won two league titles. And I know Bobby Robson went on to be the England manager, but he didn't win a league title. You know, he, he did uh, abroad. But, and Howard um, has spoken up as becoming a potential England yeah, manager right, at that yeah. time, but he didn't fancy it, basically. He preferred club management. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, it, it is, it's a wider audience that, that, that uh, perhaps don't, no, listen, in my entire life, there's only really been two or three seasons where they were you know, either winning everything or nearly winning everything. And so it's more the exception than the norm in my time. Um, but they were, they were a great, great side. And when you do have those discussions and everyone says, you know, obviously United from whatever, 95 onwards mm. or, or whatever. And, and and then you go back into the 70s and it's Liverpool and Forrest get a mention. Um, Forrest have had a film. You know, yeah. Liverpool have got the various films about various eras. They're so successful you can make, you know, various films about them. We've never had anything. Nothing's yeah. ever been done. And and I and I thought that, that it should be. Yeah. And, and you have to, it's interesting, you make the film, 10 different people could have made the film 10 different ways. Yeah. And in the end, I, I sort of made it, I think, um, a film that, Every, every football fan, particularly of that era, can watch and, and enjoy. But it's really there for, for the Everton fans to just be able to go, yeah, they, they were an amazing yeah. team. And it's lots of stories, et cetera. So, um, but, yeah, I think, I think the whole fact of recognition, a little bit of recognition. And, and I think that the fact that we've got this event on the 11th and we only, I think we announced it on, what day are we today? Uh, Wednesday, today. Wednesday, yeah. yeah. So we only announced Monday, it on Monday yeah. and, and, uh, and last night we'd, we'd sort of sold that event out and and I think that gives you a feeling for the support that there still is for that team amongst Evertonians. I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's mainly Evertonians coming that night. I would yeah. imagine it's entirely Evertonians being thrown at <laughs> them, you know. Well, no, because it's still within. You know, okay, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm of a certain age, I think it's fair to say, but it's still very much within living memory for an yeah. awful lot of Evertonians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not ancient history. No. You know, we're not talking Dixie Dean days or Tommy mm-hmm. Lawton days. You know, we are talking the recent past, yeah. well, recent to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that that's why there is such such passion for that, you know, yeah. that, that team and that season still, because it wasn't that long ago, really. You know, like you say, every single one of those players is still around. It's only, you know, the manager, God rest his soul, who's, who's not with us mm. anymore. Yeah. Mm. Dave, do you think, though, on that same score, it's important to, for younger generations of Evertonians to see this? Because I think there is a generational gap with Everton, given that yeah. there's certain people who remember the 60s have seen that, people yeah. like yourself remember the 80s, and then there are people who are younger than myself who won't even remember 95, yeah. so they've grown up with nothing. Well, totally. I mean, my, my son is 24, and he ra- raises his eyebrows and goes, well, you know, so bored when I start talking about 95, because that was the year he was born, which was the last season that, you know, so Everton actually won, and I think, and here we go again. But hopefully a film like this will actually show to him 
how good that side was. You'll only have heard stories from me. And he's met some of those players and you know he's loved being in their company. Uh, met Neville Southall when you couldn't yeah. but fail to enjoy being yeah. in his company. Yeah. Uh, and he actually, you know, I've never Neville's quite self-deprecating at the best of times. Yeah. And uh, I've never really told him, you know, so quite how good I thought he was. And Daniel actually in an acquire side <laughs> said to him, hey, by the way, my dad thinks you're the best he's ever seen. Mm. And uh, you know, so, oh you never told me that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so do the players, by the way. So yeah. do the you know yeah. uh, when you get them talking on Neville he's yeah. the, it, well Neville himself says that that Sheedy was the one player you couldn't oh, take out of that team yeah. and he says yeah. uh, in the film he says um, uh, Sheedy was our Messi our Maradona yeah. which is a pretty pretty yeah. high compliment yeah. isn't it yeah. um, but when the rest of them talk about Neville and Neville plays it all down he's like oh of well you know, you, you put know, a straight at me no one expected <laughs> me to make the saves you yeah. know but you know, um, but they all think that he was the yeah. best I mean I think Graham Sharp says forget Schmeichel and all the rest, yeah. nobody was better than Neville. I agree entirely. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully th- this film will show to, you know, people of my son's age and maybe people a little bit older how good that side was. And it will just give them a, a sense of pride of being an Evertonian. Look, you know, I know times things have been a little bit bleak <laughs> over uh, over recent years, but this is a recent. football club to be proud of. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. this football club has achieved things, things that maybe hasn't had the... Uh, the, the profile it's deserved mm. in the past and this you know goes some way towards rectifying that so yeah I'm hoping people will watch that I mean I, I loved I believe in miracles you know yeah, sat, and I've, I've got no affinity whatsoever no. from Nottingham Forest yeah. but it was just good to see you know so a provincial football backwater getting a bit of profile that you know yeah, maybe I hadn't th- had I think that film the one thing that that has that nobody else can ever have is Clough yeah. because he was you yeah. know, just a total one-off um, yeah. and, and Howard wasn't Clough, uh, and obviously because Brian Clough, he was a magnet for for, for cameras, wasn't he? And he, he always gave you something. So yeah, Howard yeah. wasn't going out there looking to to give you sound bites all, all the time, etc. So this is much more um, the players, yeah, and yeah. you know obviously Howard's um, represented in the archive, etc., and the players' memories, etc. Um, but um, so that that film stood on on the humour that Clough. Yeah brought to it and all of the stories and that stuff of Archie Gemmell and, yeah. and or John Robertson wasn't it yeah, yeah. used to get one of those and they yeah. all wanted one of them. and and so it, it's different to that in the sense that we don't have one character that provides mm. so much material yeah. for everybody else but I think between them all um, I think you talk about balance earlier so many times I looked at it and think right has everybody got a go here has everybody yeah. you know have I evenly spread it out and obviously you know Andy and Peter Some and, and Graham are yeah, big big yeah. personalities and they've yeah. got a lot to say but I like to think that you know, it's important to me that when the players watch it, that they enjoy yeah. it and they feel, oh, I'm not in it. You know, I didn't yeah. want that to happen at all. So uh, it was important that everybody had their their moment in there and, and and told their stories. And I think there's lots of nice stories in there. And and yeah. that was probably the whole point of the film was to to yes, the archive, most of the archive, not all of it, but most of the archive has been seen and is available and, sure. and you can find it. But I think it's the players telling their stories of, of how it came together, how it, how Howard brought them all together. And, and I think that was the ambition of the film was to, you know, like the um, Dirty Dozen, when you see as it, Lee Marvin goes yeah. and gets the, you know, yeah, the guys yeah. that he's got to take into position. And he's just going to meet some more. Yeah. And, and, and it was sort of, I wanted to, to sort of say, and then, it, then this guy came in and that led to this one. And so I wanted them to be shown how they sort of came into the club, to show yeah. how they came into the club. And then just let the, the way that they were or their personalities 
developed some stories. Pat is very different, for yeah. instance, to, to Peter Reed or Andy Gray, yeah. etc. But in his own way, he's brilliant. I think he's brilliant in this part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he would never set out to go and grab the camera, would he? You yeah. know, but um, but he, I think he's because he is. Every, there's lots of people that that can tell a funny story in this. Peter Reed, Andy Gray, Graham yeah. Sharp, Kevin Ratcliffe. They can tell their stories and they're funny. Um, and Pat's very different to that. But what he brought to it, particularly when we got to the Bayern Munich game, was this this sense of um, uh, of, drum, of drama, yeah. you know, that moment to him, the way that he wanted to talk about that was how much he still remembers the tunnel and the noise uh, and, and the impact of walking out and, and, uh, and what that did to him. And, and it's probably the only time in the film that we're deadly serious, yeah. just while Pat's doing that. And, and you know, it's, it's, you, need that, you need that balance. And, um, and, and Pat um, against Andy and Peter and, and yeah. the, the laughs, I mean, Peter's most of Peter's stories are, are, are good fun in the film yeah. it was nice to have that little bit because we do go to town on that Bayern Munich game and Pat sets it up beautifully well well, Pat's a real coup to actually have in that film because uh, <laughs> I remember he was he was very very shy and reserved at doing media interviews I mean a, a funny story one of the guys uh, locally who doesn't work uh, in journalism anymore Mike Ellis who used to cover Wales uh, on Wales international trips and Pat just wouldn't do interviews full stop he just like refused to do them point blank and um, Mike had managed to persuade him you know sort of do it you know he goes look I'll do an interview with you um, provided you don't ask any tricky questions and he goes, no, prom promise you, Pat, it'll just be dead, dead straightforward. No tricky questions at all. She goes, oh, gosh, I'll try and soften him up. OK, Pat, you must be pleased with your performance tonight. I told you, no tricky <laughs> questions. That's it. <laughs> just marched out. Yeah. So he, did, he, he yeah. didn't do media at all. So I'd be really interested to hear, you know, sort of his thoughts on, good. on that season. He's good in this. He's good in this. Obviously, we've mentioned the event at St um, George's Hall, which is sold out, you said, within yeah. 24 hours now. But there's yeah. a couple more, um, some other thing, bits and pieces going on about, aren't there? Yeah. Yes, so um, there there will be uh, an so, so we have a premiere. We have the the a gala premiere at the Liverpool Film Festival, mm -hmm. um, which um, is on Saturday, November the second, um, and uh, we then will have a theatrical run, um, which we haven't confirmed. We haven't absolutely confirmed mm -hmm. the dates, but there'll be a week of theatrical. Um, um, showings, and then uh, we do have the event on the eleventh. All the players are coming. And that's at St George's Hall, mm -hmm. and it's it's going to be fantastic. And yeah, we we had um, we we told everyone about it on on Monday, and and by Tuesday night we had to put up the um, uh, sold out sign. So uh, which is extraordinary. That's that's fantastic. Um, and then we have a website uh, evertonhowardsway dot com, and that gives details of everywhere that you can. Uh, so you can pre order the DVD, or you can. Um, see all the platforms where you'll be able to, to download it, um, etc. So all the details are on, on that website. And um, yeah, hopefully anybody, the whole, I think the whole thing is that anybody who would have any interest in wanting to see this movie knows how they can see it. Yeah. And that's, that's what we wanted to do. Excellent. I'm sure all Evertonians will enjoy it. So um, thank you for coming in, Rob, today. And thank you, Dave, for sharing your memories. Thanks. I enjoyed thank every you. second of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.